Invest in yourself today with our Insider Pro product, which gives you the career path to reach the next step in your cybersecurity journey. Join today on Cyberry.it using the discount code PODCAST. In this episode of the Cyberry Podcast, we sit down with Alex Matheson, the Senior Program Manager for Code42, and Ken Underhill, Master Instructor for Cyberry. Alex and Ken talk with me about what it's like being an online instructor and the difficulties that come along with it. All right, everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Cyberry Podcast. Today, we are focusing on instructors, and I have two instructors here with us today, and I'll let them introduce yourself. I'm going to start with you, Alex. How are you doing today? I'm doing good, thank you. I'm Alex Matheson with Code42. All right, and Ken, how are you doing today? I'm doing good, thanks, and thanks for having uh, us on, Thor. Uh, I'm Ken Underhill, Master Instructor at Cyberry. Uh, yeah, and kind of going off of that, I mean, talking about instructors today, um, Alex, I know that you've been uh, an instructor for quite a while. Uh, I mean, how have you seen things change with, I mean, just the move to online instructing? I mean, how how do you stay engaged with your students? How do you kind of keep the tempo up? Uh, I mean, how, how are you doing that kind mm-hmm. of... Uh, yeah, I've kind of been able to see all the major inflection points from when it was just purely stand-up instructor stuff where students either had to come to you or you had to fly out to them to, you know, where we are now, where everything's conducted over Zoom or or video. The uh, the trick has been, as you said, the, the engagement. You know, when I got involved in, in technical instructing, I lived for being at the front of a classroom, helping people get better at their jobs and getting that immediate feedback. And then, you know, you could like canvas the room, you see the one person doesn't quite get it. So you go and give them a little extra help where now I get no feedback until after the course is actually done. So it's been kind of tricky to make this as engaging when there's no feedback loop. Yeah. And Ken, I mean, I know that, um, I mean, you've been instructing for a while. I mean, are you kind of noticing the same things? I mean, how are, how do you deal with that as well? Yeah, predominantly I've done on-demand courses. I've done some lives, but predominantly on-demand. So that is one of the biggest challenges is how do we get that engagement with students? I found a lot of people don't hesitate to reach out via social media um, with questions about the course or questions about a certain topic. Um, and I encourage that when I when I create a course, I always encourage students to reach out via social because a lot of times that's the easiest way. Uh, I'm sure we all get thousands of emails, so it's kind of difficult to keep track of that every single day. So social media, Slack, LinkedIn, Twitter, whatever, those are the best routes, at least for me, to engage with students. Yeah, Alex, are you kind of doing the same thing? Do you do any like social media with your students? I know particularly now it's a lot more kind of internal stuff that you're working on, but beforehand... Yeah, primarily in previous careers and where I am now, we've been focused on our customers. And of course, they have no hesitation reaching out to us uh, directly or filing a support ticket because there's something they didn't quite understand. Now that we're broadening our scope and providing our material to the community at large, we're definitely going to be looking at more social, uh, Mm -hmm. getting that community stuff going on. and. Similar to Ken, I'm now doing a lot more on-demand stuff. So my virtual instructor-led, I can't remember the last time I did a virtual instructor-led course, but like with all the on-demand stuff, it's going to be a lot nicer having that feedback loop via social to 
you know, you, you can hit the like button. That's not enough. I, I kind of like getting the words back about what actually worked for someone. And those are, of course, the most rewarding bits of feedback that you get. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Getting, getting the feedback, you know, so you know what you're doing well, you know, what you might be able to improve upon, um, things like that. And I'm sure Ken, uh, you probably run into the weird thing with, you know, you have so many courses out, you're probably getting reached out to about courses that you did months ago, years ago, you know, how, how do you kind of, you know, try to make sure that you're giving the right advice, you know, it's like for that course or that person. Uh, you know, I do have some people that reach out and say, Hey, I'm taking your course. And I have a question on this and I have to kind of think through like, what course is that? Right. So um, I just normally most people will reach out and tell you the course and then you just focus on what might be the issue that they're reaching out about. And so in some instances, it might be that Kelly Linux is a new version in 2020. Right. Um, Or that a certain tool was updated and the command no longer works. So if it's something like that, I'll usually jump into whatever that tool or or system is and figure out what the fix is and then just give it to them. Sometimes I just tell people to Google it and that's not because I'm a jerk. It's because I want them to learn. And I know like I've already Googled it and I find a bunch of resources. And so I'm like, just Google it because I want them to learn how to do that because when they're on the job, they can't call Ken or Alex. They have to figure out how to do it themselves. Yeah, I mean, that's something that I learned at my one of my first real tech job was actually how to Google and how to Google correctly mm-hmm. um, was something that my manager let me do for a while. He's like, hey, I can sit here and I can tell you exactly how to do it. He's like, or you can learn how to find the answer, which is, I mean, just a great tool that, uh, you know, a lot of people don't know how to do yet, um, which is nice. With uh, uh, instructing at home and, you know, you're not really, you don't have that feedback loop immediately. I mean, what kind of preparation are you doing going into your course to make sure that, you know, you're doing everything to the best of your ability? Um, mm-hmm. I'll start with you, Alex. Yeah, that's definitely the, um, you know, when it used to be in a classroom, you could do a lot of things off the cuff. You could, you know, put something in the parking lot and visit it later. Uh, but now for full on on demand. It's a lot of homework that goes into the instructional design of, of what we create. And we try to, at least I try to put myself as well in the role of the learner because I'm kind of the target audience in some respect. So mm-hmm. how would I want this thing broken up? And then in particular, making certain that everything is right, because I'm sure, Ken, you've experienced this too when you're talking about Linux. It's like, it was valid a week ago. Today it's changed. So structuring stuff so that you can cover your basis enough without getting outdated super quickly, but then also having it flexible enough that you could easily update it if you needed to. Yeah, Ken? Yeah, and echoing parts of what Alex said there, the instructional design part is certainly challenging to figure out how can I essentially almost make this course an evergreen type of course where two years from now, it's still majority of it's still relevant, even if a tool changes a little bit. Um, The other thing I'll I'll add in is that I share a lot of examples, stories, like how does this actually relate to the real world? And I always try to relate something I'm teaching to, uh, I'll step back a second, and I basically try to design every course where my grandmother that's not even online can take it and learn something. And so when I do it like that, I find myself naturally explaining things and relating them to like, hey, uh, this thing's related to when you go in the grocery store and you do this, right? Because mm-hmm. most people have that experience and they say, oh, that makes sense. 
Whereas if I started spouting off a bunch of terminology, they're going to get confused. So I always try to figure out how can I relate what they're going to learn to the actual real world. And they may not always be specific to the real world in their job, but also the real world in like things they already are doing in their lives. Yeah, Ken brings up a, a great technique, having that, being able to associate one thing with another. Because, I mean, mm-hmm. obviously, like older style technical instruction, it's all about the what. What does that button do? Well, mm-hmm. that button does X. Okay. But today we have to tell you why. Why do yeah. you want to push that button? Why do you not want to push that button? And being able, as Ken was outlining, being able to relate it to something in people's everyday life uh, allows that connection. So you've got the better long-term encoding. Uh, they'll remember it better. And yeah, you don't have to get bogged down in terminology because, again, on demand, you could say the course is intermediary, but novices may take it and have no idea what you're talking about. And experts may be boring, but as long as you can relate it to something that's somewhat common, again, you've got greater chances of longevity for the content. Yeah. I mean, that's a, yeah, like great insight, especially because like we were talking about earlier, you don't have that immediate feedback loop of, you know, maybe if you're an instructor in front of a group of people, you can see somebody give you kind of that quizzical look, like I have no idea what you're talking about. So then you can kind of go into maybe a more bland explanation or kind of uh beginner level explanation for them. So yeah, I think, yeah, kind of doing that, you know, how to explain to your grandma is such a good way to kind of think about when you're building your courses to kind of bring that level of understanding for everybody. Um, cool. Uh, so, uh, is there any way that you guys tried, I mean, can we talked about being on, uh, kind of going through social is kind of connecting to your students or having a way to feel connected with like the actual material instead of, you know, Oh, it's recorded. It's gone. I've done it. I kind of answer questions here and there, but kind of stay engaged with it as it, you know, continues to grow. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll jump in on that yeah. first. So I think, One of the other things I like to do is um, do some refreshes on content. Um, I personally don't like to have content that's out there and out there for years and years and years. I I like to go kind of at a minimum, like every year at least on something, Mm -hmm. make sure it's refreshed, updated. Uh, Two years is probably pushing it. But anything past that, like it's got to be updated in, in my mind because it's got to be fresh. It's got to be new. There might be a new technique I learn. Um, there might be a new way to edit a video or throw something, some animation in there. So I'm always looking like, how can I improve this to make it where students feel like they're in the classroom with me, even though they're not? Mm-hmm. Um, and sure, we can do that with some things like quizzes and that sort of stuff. But I think you always have to be mindful of like, how can I improve this? Um, in the future, right? Because maybe technology in a year from now is totally different. And Alex and I have to go redo all our courses, but that's great because we're able to make them more engaging for students at that point. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Always, always be innovating. And as Ken was saying, there's always new things that you can, when you do a refresh, you know, things that you could do better or do different. Uh, One of the key things that we try to do for the engagement part is all of our all of our courses are written conversationally. Mm-hmm. So if you view any of the courses that I've currently got out there, it feels like this. Me yeah. talking to you, I'm trying really hard not to break eye contact with, with the camera, even though you guys are down here on a monitor. I'm doing this looking up. So I've got that 
connection. And then, you know, adding in, as Ken said, you know, personal stories, being able to relate things. And then from the technology side, if you watch any of my courses, you won't see me sitting here talking about something for too long before something visually will change. So whether it's graphics that come on to uh, break the eye contact because the learner doesn't necessarily want to look at me all the time, but they'll look at something else or in backgrounds. You know, that's why I've got stuff set up like this. If you get tired of looking at me, you can check out my Lego and then any other Anything else that the YouTube generation has figured out that makes long content feel quick mm-hmm. is something that's worthwhile looking into. Yeah, and I mean, that kind of goes directly into the next thing I wanted to talk about is um, kind of the unsung thing that people don't talk about with online instructing is the tools that you're using. I mean, what are the what are the things that you want to make sure, I mean, mic, headphones, stuff like that, but I mean, what things are you using to try to, you know, make your course as best as you can? Mm-hmm. Ken, you want to go first? Or you want me to take this one? Yeah, no, I'll, uh, I'll jump in first. So uh, if I'm doing like screen recording, um, I'm a huge fan of Screencast-O-Matic. Uh, I know Thor knows that. Yep. Um, I've used Camtasia and stuff, so I'm not particular to one thing, but I've used it for a number of years. As far as editing, I use Adobe stuff uh, usually. Um, and so that's, that's kind of how I make things pop, right? After Effects, if I can. Uh, just simple things like adding music in can make a big difference uh, in the intro part of a course. Yeah. Um, and then if I'm using slides, keeping that engaging, if I'm using hands-on labs, I make sure that I always complement those with some kind of a downloadable step-by-step. Um, mm-hmm. A lot of students, maybe you're going too fast or too slow, and having that guide for them allows them to do it at their own pace. Um, and then just really explaining things, right? If you're showing me how to do something hands-on, you shouldn't just be clicking around and, okay, we're done. Like, walk me through it, because maybe I don't know. And then if I am advanced, just give me a guide and I can do it myself. Right. So I, I just try to incorporate all those components. But as far as software, it's generally speaking on many courses, Screencast-O-Matic with editing with Adobe Suite. Okay. Cool. Yeah. For myself on the tool side for, since we're talking about uh, screencasting and recording, I use uh, ScreenFlow, uh, but I usually round trip it through After Effects. So big time Adobe fan, use all the tools uh, on the hardware side. Uh, shooting in 4K, even though I publish in 1080, gives me that ability to, you know, pop in mm-hmm. and you still have that high resolution and I don't need two cameras. Yep. You know, if I was if I was doing like live streaming broadcast, I'd have, you know, two other cameras here. I'd be switching between them. Uh, but in the editing bay, it's not so much fun to try and pull together three sources. So... Yep. A single camera 4K gives me the flexibility that I can go into a nice tight shot and then pull out and I can put graphics here and then flip maybe flip over to some slides. Uh, and then other hardware-wise, you know, you put your money into your camera and your microphone. Lights you can build, but if you spend the money, you can do some really awesome things with some cool lighting. Yeah, absolutely. And so, I mean... Uh, I mean, if you, what would you guys recommend to somebody or advice, I guess, for somebody who is maybe a, a practitioner that wants to get into instructing? I mean, one, just from an instructor standpoint, but two, you know, what kind of equipment or something, beginner level stuff that they might want to get just to start kind of seeing what they're able to do? Uh, my recommendation would be if you're already in the DSLR space, making certain that you've got a, a camera capable of doing that and then putting some good money into the right glass. 
there's probably a billion different, you know, YouTubers that have put out, here's how I built my studio. And they always list out their equipment. And if anyone's going to be able to put together a budget setup, it's probably going to be those who are just getting into the, mm-hmm. the YouTube life. I mean, my studio has equipment that would be overkill for YouTube, simple stuff, mm-hmm. but it helps with my workflow. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I would definitely go that route. Mm-hmm. Ken? Yeah, so so for me, I'm I'm with Alex on that. I think keeping it as simple as you can at first, get your feet wet. Number one, make sure the course is going to even sell if you're trying to sell courses before you spend thousands on cameras and lighting and everything else. And then you find out, uh, as I did with one of my very first courses ever, that nobody wants it. So uh, <laughs> just keep it simple at first. YouTube's a great resource to go figure out some very simple home setups. You can do a lot of stuff with your iPhone or Android device these days. Um, I film a lot of videos on my iPhone. And so you can do a lot of things for very little money. And then once you kind of get your feet wet, then expand into spending a little more money, investing a little more money into the proper professional setup. Yeah. And and Ken hits the nail right on the head as far as like the content. It's like, if no one wants it, who cares? Yep. Um, (laughs) And and of course, we're in this age that it can be hard to rise above the noise. So mm-hmm. it probably should be something that you're either incredibly passionate about or knowledgeable about, hopefully both. Yeah. And I mean, what, what advice do you guys have for maybe a first-time instructor just doing a, a virtual course? Like, I mean, if they've maybe instructed in front of people before, but I mean, I, I, I would assume that doing it virtually is just an entirely different animal. Mm-hmm. I mean, what kind of advice do you have for those people who are just maybe thinking of getting it? Maybe it's somebody on Cybrary that's trying to, you know, it's their first course or something like that. Uh, My recommendation would be start consuming similar content as much as possible. See what the market has um, and either try to achieve similar levels or see how you can differentiate. Yeah, I think Alex hit the nail on the head there with doing that market research, seeing what's out there on that topic right now. Look at the reviews or the engagement on those courses, see what people are saying about it. What do they like? What don't they like? And then you could say, okay, well, I can make my course different this way and I can cover these things that they didn't. And so I should have a very you know high quality course. Um, the other thing is learn at a minimum, kind of learn like the basics of instructional design, like how... Mm-hmm. You know, as Alex talked about earlier, you're normally your target audience. And so think about, okay, what do I like about courses? Like courses mm-hmm. I've taken in the past, do I like looking at slides? Do I like seeing the instructor? Do I like hands-on? How do I learn best? And then incorporate those into your course and you should have a pretty successful course. Yeah, I mean, that's a a great point, Kent. And I mean, you know, uh, working here that, you know, we try to go through and make sure that we have everything in each course for the different types of learners, you know, visual, auditory, stuff like that. I mean, Alex, are you, do you guys kind of find the same thing that you try to include something that might um, work for a particular type of learner? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, we follow a very modular approach. So we make certain things are broken up in such a way that, you know, if you're just someone that wants the high level jump to this one. If you want some, if you prefer to dive into the weeds, go here. Uh, for our more robust courses that we offer, you know, there's, you can sign up, jump onto a virtual machine and go through lab exercises if you'd rather not watch one of us mm-hmm. do it. 
and then, of course, the, the beauty of the format is if you don't care about watching, you just want to listen, all you got to do is turn the speakers up. Yeah, I mean, that's that's a great thing. I mean, have either of you guys seen um, I mean, or gotten feedback that somebody who just listens to your course and might not watch just kind of listening, kind of taking it in, maybe has done it a couple of times or something like that, just to kind of gather all the information? Yeah, well, I, I know I, my I, courses are very engaging, so everyone watches them, <laughs> but I have been known to just put a course on and listen. Uh, yeah, I've had, uh, well, pre-COVID, of course, right? But I've had many students say that on their commute, they'll listen to the courses on the train or driving or whatever. Um, that's how most people were actually consuming them. Oh, interesting. Is that something you guys kind of keep in mind when creating it is like, maybe somebody might just be listening to this or might not kind of be watching at the same time. Alex, I know yours are kind of more in depth and you have the visuals and stuff come up, but do you guys kind of keep that in mind? We, we try to be very descriptive with what's being said. Uh, and then also, we also use like auditory cues. So if it's a screen recording, again, if you're just listening to it audio, you're not going to be able to know which button I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. But you'll hear the instructor say, okay, so we're going to go over to this button here. So even if someone's trying to visualize it, they can kind of piece it together themselves. So there's a lot of there's a lot of little tricks that you can do both in the visual and the audio to at least give a sense of flow. Mm -hmm. when you're working with something. Now, if it's a purely conceptual thing, then you don't have to worry about breaking down. Uh, I got three buttons here. It's the middle button that you want to press. Uh, yeah. Um, cool. Uh, yeah, I mean, I don't have too much more for you guys. I mean, what would you say is probably your... As an instructor, I guess the, the number one thing that you try to impart to, to each course or each student, you know, that you're talking to, even though it's virtual, you know, you, I've, Ken, I've seen your courses and Alex, I've seen yours. I mean, you guys do make that kind of connection. It does feel like you're teaching me, um, even though that, you know, it's thousands of people watching these. I mean, what, what do you guys try to keep in mind as kind of the more, most important thing that you're trying to impart when doing a video or a lesson? Well, I mean, uh, for me, I, I think you just said it, Thor. I, I look at it as I'm talking to one person in the course, and I design it for that one person, which is normally my grandma. But uh, I design it for that one person. And if I can do that effectively, then it, it will, for the most part, right, you can always go too fast, too slow for some people or whatever. But for the most part, you should hit the majority of people that would benefit from your course with your content. So if you focus on one person and you do that very well, it should be no trouble to have people learning from you. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm kind of wondering what uh, type of feedback Ken gets from his Nana on those courses. <laughs> like I said, she's not online, so. Oh, okay, well, there you go. Uh, yeah. I've yet to ever get that. There's <laughs> been no bad reviews. Yes, got it. Yes. it. Five-star um, reviews from, from her, yes. <laughs> so to answer the question about what I try to impart is, yeah, I, I start and begin with the, the relationship. It's mm -hmm. my job to help you, the learner, either understand something better or do your job better. And per Ken's comments, you kind of, you thread that needle so that it's not too basic, that advanced people are lost, and it's not too high up that beginners are lost. You just right at that sweet spot so that you hit as many people as possible because mm -hmm. the experts they'll go and consume more and the people who are new will probably appreciate the refresher. Yeah. How, so how long did it take either of you to kind of figure out how to kind of walk that line or thread that needle, you know, to where you're explaining 
enough for kind of everybody, for kind of any audience. Like, I, I mean, that can't be something that you just first video was perfect and everybody understood it. I assume it probably took a little while. Ken, I'll start with you. Yeah. I mean, of course, every video that Alex and I have ever done is absolutely perfect. So uh, there's no issue there. Okay. <laughs> no, it, it actually easy. took me, uh, yeah, it took me some time. Um, first course I ever did, it was nothing cyber related and it was absolutely terrible, uh, but I got the feedback and I improved. So it took me maybe, I'd say maybe a year, maybe, maybe the first couple of years of creating online courses to kind of work out all the kinks mm-hmm. and, and become to the, to the level that I'm at now where I can communicate the information effectively to a broader audience. So it took some time. Um, and full disclaimer, I was kind of doing the online course stuff part-time. So if I had been like all in, it probably would have been just a matter of months, but it still took some time to, to learn that. So yeah, right out of the gate, your first bit of content, if you're not getting coached by someone, it's probably going to be bad and that's okay because you can get that feedback and improve over time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I found uh, my first on-demand courses uh, because, you know, you know, I worked for a particular company. I was in the product all the time. I had incredibly deep knowledge that my learner, more often than not, that wasn't their only job. You know, they had other parts of the data center that were under their purview, and my company's solution was just one tool in the kit. So they didn't have the need for ridiculously deep knowledge, because if Mm -hmm. something broke, they'd contact support. But they did need to know how to use it as quickly as possible to get what they wanted done. And that's when it finally clicked for me that when you hit that sweet middle ground, you can hit, you know, it's the 80-20 rule, right? I was able to cover 80% of what was needed done by simply covering 20% of the product. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, was there anything that was kind of was hardest for you, I guess, to overcome? Like, I always think of like speaking cadence and like how quickly or something, Mm -hmm. you know, you're talking over something. I mean, was there anything that just kind of stuck with you when you were first started working that like, this is the one, this is the hill I have to climb to make sure that all my content's good. That kind of stuck out in your mind, at least. Uh, Speaking for myself, that was the... Uh, well, I'd been doing like public speaking and stuff for years prior. So I had a lot of training on the best way to address an audience and convey information from purely instructional design. The hardest part, the thing that I have to get over is the the balancing of perfection and completion hmm. that I want it to be perfect, but then it'll never be done. But if I publish it right now and it looks like junk, who's that? Helping. So the hardest part that I have is making certain I've got that balance between getting it done and doing it right. Yeah, it seems you must be reading me and Ken's Slack messages back and forth to each other, always trying to make everything as best as we can. (laughs) Yeah, and for me, uh, speaking pace uh, has been the predominant thing over the years. Uh, Mm -hmm. A lot of times I talk too fast because I get excited about the material. And Mm -hmm. so that's something I've worked on over the years. Um, Also voice inflection. Um, that's, I've worked on that as well. So, you know, there's, there's for anyone out there listening, that's thinking, maybe I should teach my knowledge to someone just understand it's a process. You're not going to be perfect. And even Alex and I continue learning. Um, you're not going to be perfect. Just understand that you should take that feedback that's constructive and improve and you become better over time. Yeah. And the best part is you don't have to do it in a vacuum because at least there's, you know, there's a thousand and one others that you can look at to see how they're doing it and then Mm -hmm. take it apart a bit and see how you can do it. And 
it's a community, right? Throw it our way. Yeah. We'll tell you honestly what we think that could be changed or what you should continue doing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's uh, fantastic. Um, yeah. Fantastic advice. It's yeah. I mean, once you start doing it, I mean, there's a giant community of people doing the exact same thing. Um, you know, most people are pretty open and honest. It's, it would be a great way to get feedback and just see, you know, what you could do better. Just maybe have somebody look at your content and give you some tips or pointers on what you could do better. Um, yeah. Well, uh, thank you guys both for being here today. Do you have any parting uh, knowledge or anything you want to say to the listeners before we go? Sure. The only thing I want to say is you can do it. So if it if you want to create a course or if you're interested in, in just learning something new, you can do it no matter what it is, but stick with it because a lot of times we face challenges and many people quit, just push through it and eventually you'll get whatever that goal is. Yep. And my passing uh, final advice would be look to other samples, see how it was done and figure out how you might be able to replicate it. You're not a trying to steal someone else's stuff, but they figured something out. Maybe it'll work for you too. Awesome. Great advice, guys. Thank you very much. I appreciate both of you being here today and uh, we'll talk to you soon. See ya. Awesome. Thanks. Thanks. Hey, this is Thor. Thanks for listening to the Cyberry podcast and make sure to check back next Wednesday for our newest episode.